Well, good morning. I welcome visitors. I thought I had a visitor. I met her again for the first time again, only to discover that I've known her forever. (laughs) Nice to see you. Nice to see you again. Good memories. Well, for those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Dan. The title of my sermon this morning is, Have You Seen the Light? My text is the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. You'll find that insert printed in your, inside your bulletin. It's the whole chapter. So I've got a lot of bullet points to cover, as you can tell by the outline that's there for your easy reference. So I kind of ran through it the first service, but maybe I can slow down on this service somewhat. But in any event, please follow the, your outline so that we can make this really more academically and spiritually enlightening for you. So let's look to God's approval this morning as I put out these words. Dear Lord, this morning let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Am I loud enough? I don't know that I am. Well, I am not a country music uh, fan per se, but to those who know country music, one of the all-time legendary greats was Hank Williams, and he wrote a song entitled, I Saw the Light. We sang some of the verses this morning. He sang, or we sang, I wonder so aimlessly, life filled with sin, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. You know, even though Hank Williams wrote these words almost a half century ago, it could have been written, it could have been sung almost 2,000 years ago by a man whose name we do not know, but whose life we'll never forget. This is a story of a man born blind. From the time human hands pulled him from his mother's womb, he entered into the world where the velvet cover of darkness had been pulled over the light of the sun. But all that changed in an instant when he met a man named Jesus. When he met the S-O-N, he saw the S-U-N. And when he met the Lord, he saw the light. In fact, this miracle is really a physical illustration of a, of a spiritual truth that Jesus uttered in verse 5 when he said, I am the light of the world. Now this man was born blind, but we're going to learn that he did not die blind. He was born in darkness, he was born again in light. He was born when he could not see, he was born again that he might see. And the question you need to answer for yourselves this morning before you leave this building is, have I seen the light? Consider in your outline, first, the misery of a sightless man. Now, before you can understand the meaning of the miracle, you must examine the man in the miracle. For you see, this blind man is a picture of every person who has yet to come and met the Lord Jesus Christ. What was it that made this man so miserable? First, his blindness. Our text, John 9, 1 states, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind 
from birth. This was a man who was blind, and likewise without Jesus Christ, every person is blind. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.3, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. A person without Jesus is living in darkness. Why is that? Well, the answer is found in John 1.4, which states, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, in the Lord Jesus there is life, and in his life there is light. When God created Adam, God not only lived with Adam, he came to live in Adam. And when Adam sinned, God vacated the premises. He not only left the garden, he moved out of Adam. You know, when the Lord went out, the life went out. And when the life went out, the light went out. Because all darkness is, is simply the absence of light. And ever since that fateful day in the Garden of Eden, man has lived in spiritual darkness. And the problem with people who are not in the light is that they don't understand that you don't see God with the eyes in your head, you see God with the eyes of your heart. Augustine was once accosted by a heathen who showed him an idol and said, Here is my God. Where is yours? Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God, not because there is no God to show you, but because you have no eyes to see him. Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The second thing to consider is his birth. Verses 2 and 3 of our text states, And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed to him. See, even though Jesus healed the number of blind people on at least five occasions, this story is unique. Because this is the only case on record where Jesus healed a congenital disease. The phrase born blind is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. Now immediately, the Pharisees were asking, I wonder what this man did to deserve this. They just assumed that a physical handicap was a sign of God's spiritual displeasure. These Pharisees thought that there was something wrong with this man or with his parents. But you see, his condition was simply a result of his birth. Likewise, we are sinners spiritually blind from birth. We're not only sinners by choice, we are sinners by nature. David said in Psalm 51.5, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. You see, this man was not blind because he could not see. He could not see because he was blind. Man is not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he is a sinner. Man is not born with God, not born with God and then somehow loses God when he sins. He is born without God. And that's why he must be born again. Third, consider his begging. Verse 8 tells us, Is not this he who sat and begged? You see, in that day, the only thing a blind man could do was beg. There were no laws to protect the handicapped. 
There was no pension plan for the physically weak. They were simply at the mercy of society. If you have ever seen a beggar, you know that by and large they are poor. They have no money. Many of them are putrid. They smell. They have a foul odor. But most of all, they are pitiful. They really either cannot or will not help themselves. And that is the way every person is without the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you know, as I said, the saddest person in the world is not the man who is blind and cannot see, but the man who is blind but thinks he can see. You may think you are rich wearing your gold jewelry, driving your fine automobile, living in your palatial home, enjoying your big bank account, but without Jesus, you are as poor as dirt. You may think you are a very good person, but without Jesus Christ, your righteousness is like filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. You may think you're on top of the world, that you are in good health, adequate uh, health, wealth, and, and a bright future. But without the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, of all people, most to be pitied. See, I'm convinced that man's biggest need today is to see his need. His biggest problem is he cannot see his real problem. The problem with the human race is that without Christ, people are spiritually dead, spiritually darkened, spiritually depraved, spiritually doomed, and their only solution is to see the light. Second in your all, I consider the ministry of a sovereign master. So our text, verses 5 to 7, states, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back, seen. I love this story. Here is a man blind from birth who was, has never seen the light of day. He has never seen the rays of the sun. He's never seen the rays of the sun shimmering across the Sea of Galilee. He's never seen a father's smile. He's never seen a mother's tear. He has never seen the blush of color on a rose. But then he meets Jesus, who puts some spittle mixed with dirt on his eyes, tells him to go wash in a pool, and all of a sudden, he has 20-20 vision. Now, you would have thought that everyone would have been happy you would have thought they would have thrown a big party. You would have thought that this story would be on the front page of the Jerusalem Times. But not so. First, he was expelled by the leaders. When this man was healed, you would have expected a celebration. But all he got was a confrontation. In fact, it was the people you thought would have been the happiest, the religious, church-going crowd who were the ones who cast him out. They did everything they could to get this man to deny that a miracle had taken place and then to deny who had actually performed the miracle. But he would not do either one when he stubbornly stood by the testimony of truth. And verse 34 tells us, They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. In other words, this man was excommunicated from the synagogue. He was cut off from the religious life of his own people. 
That, that is, they, they didn't just throw him out of the building. They threw him out of the church. Even his own parents wouldn't stand by him. For we read in verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he, meaning Jesus, was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Now understand the seriousness of this. When a man was excommunicated, he could no longer be employed. His, his family would disown him. He could never again enter the synagogue and enjoy the fellowship of others who believed in the Lord. He couldn't buy, he couldn't sell, and when he died, his family was not allowed to give him a funeral. But that leads me to say this. When Jesus walks into your life, the world will walk out. As a matter of fact, Jesus will not come in until the world moves out. Second, consider that he was exposed to the light. Verses 35 to 36 state, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to them, to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? See, after Jesus healed his eyes, he saw the Son, S-U-N. But he had not seen the Son, S-O-N, because he had not seen the Lord, who is the Son. But when he does, verse 38 tells us, Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Instantaneously, this man goes from sight to salvation, from wonder to worship. Now what is interesting to notice is the progression of his faith. His neighbors asked him how this miracle took place. Verses 10 and 11 states, Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. First of all, he simply calls Jesus a man. Now, he's really calling Jesus a good man because this is the man who healed him. Then the Pharisees check in with their question and notice his response. Verses 17 and 18. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. See, this previously blind man believed that Jesus is not only a good man, he's a great man. You couldn't pay a person a higher compliment in that day than to call him a prophet because a prophet was considered to be a spokesman for God. But after further questioning by the Pharisees and further reflection, his opinion goes even higher. Verses 29 to 31 state, We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he's from, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Listen, not Jesus is not just a good man. 
not even just a great man. He is a godly man. That is wonderful. But he goes even further. Salvation does not come until he recognizes Jesus as the God-man. Verses 37 and 38 states, And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Do you see how this man's progressed in his faith? First, Jesus was a good man, then a great man, then a godly man, then the God-man. The point is, this man responded to the first light that he saw. As he responded to the first light, God gave him more light. That is the meaning of Luke 8.18, which states, Therefore take heed how you hear. For whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken away. You see, what Jesus was saying was this. When God gives you a little light, if you would just respond, he will give you more light. But when he gives you a little light, if you reject even that light, he will take away the light that you have. What it really boils down to is, what is the difference between a man that is saved and a man that is lost? Is whether or not one has responded to the light that he has. Third, he was excited by his life. These Pharisees had done everything they could to deny this man what had happened, how it had happened, by whom it had happened. And finally, rather than argue with them, he just gives this testimony. He says, verse 25, he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Not even those brilliant religious PhDs could argue with that testimony because a heart full of Jesus is worth a book full of arguments. Listen, if you know Jesus and your life has changed, you know enough to bring people to the light of the world. Because we have not been called to be prosecuting attorneys. We've just been called to be witnesses. Third, in your outline, consider the message of the supernatural miracle. Now remember, this entire miracle is meant to teach us a lesson found in verse 5. That Jesus is the light of the world. And what a mighty light he is. First, he is the shining light. Notice he is the light of the world. Earlier in John 8, 12, he states, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In this world, there are so many so-called lights that have burned like Roman candles, up like a rocket and down like a rock, never to be heard or seen from again. But I want to tell you, 2,000 years after he walked this earth, his fire burns hotter and his light shines more brightly than ever before in human history. Secondly, he is the seeking light. Verse 35 states, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? Listen, this man did not find Jesus. Jesus found him. 
It is so beautiful to notice that when this man had been shut out by the sinners, he was sought out by the Savior. Do you know what you will find when you find God? You will find that God was looking for you all along. You see, salvation always results because God first seeks the sinner, not because the sinner first seeks God. Jesus said in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Third, he is the saving light. Verse 38 states, Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now don't miss this point. The man did not receive his sight just because he was exposed to the light. No amount of light affects blindness. You can put a blind man in broad daylight at 12 o'clock noon and he'll just be as blind as if he were in pitch darkness. All the light in the world will never make a blind eye see. The only thing that can do that is a literal miracle. Coming to church and nothing more will not light up your heart. You see, this man could see physically. Because Jesus opened the eyes in his head. But he could see spiritually because Jesus opened the eyes of his heart. When Paul came to Philippi to preach the gospel, there was a lady there named Lydia. She worshipped God, but she worshipped God in her head. She did not know God in her heart. And do you know how she was saved? The Bible says in Acts 16, 14, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Fourth, consider that he is the shunned light. You know, in this drama, there are actually four different players. There were the people, that is, his neighbors, his parents, the Pharisees, and, of course, the person who was healed. But of all these groups, only one person was saved, and that was the man born blind. Jesus uses that to illustrate the truth in verse 39 when he says, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. Now understand, to clarify this, the reason Jesus came was to save. But the coming result of his coming was judgment on all who did not believe and accept The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same gospel that I preach that brings men to the light drives other men deeper into the dark. No one will ever see until they first admit they are blind. And just as light obeyed increases light, light refused darkens increases darkness. But no one is blind, is as blind as the one who cannot see, but he claims he can see. No person is more lost than the person who says he's saved, and he's not. Every time I think about the Pharisees, I'm reminded of what Jesus said in James in John 3.19, which states, And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Listen, no one is in darkness because they cannot come to the light, but because they will not 
come to the light. When I preach the gospel to people who are lost, or I present the gospel to a lost person one-on-one, and I share with them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and if for whatever reason that person refuses to be saved, and he dies and spends eternity separated in hell from God, one thing he cannot do, and I will not do, and that is blame God. And finally, the fifth, consider he is the shared light. Now, your insert, manuscript, verse 4, begins with the pronoun I. Most, or the best manuscripts in verse 4, use the pronoun we, rather than I. The verse really should read this way. We. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. You see, this miracle is not just to tell us what Jesus did then. It's to tell us what Jesus wants to do through us now. And just as Jesus opened this man's eyes and turned him from darkness to light, we today are to be sharing the light of the world, bringing people in from spiritual darkness. You know, after God calls Paul to to see the light on the Damascus road, He told Paul he was going to send him to the Gentiles. Why? Acts 26, 18 tells us, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Every sermon we preach, every word we say, every song we sing, every deed we do is to be an eye-opener for people to see the light. Hank Williams wrote a second stanza to that song that I pray either it will be your testimony or will be today. It goes, Just like a blind man, I wander alone. Worries and fears I claim for my own. Then, like the blind man, that God gave back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Amen? Amen. Well, service is over. May we all go out to share our light with those God sends our way. You know, remember, remember that most people out there don't read the Bible. The only Bible they read is you. So go out and you live the Bible in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we worship the one true God. Amen. See you Thursday for my Bible study or next Sunday as the case may be. Love you.